Welcome to Nonprofit Investment Stewards with Bob DeMeo and Devin Francis from Fiducian Advisors. Bob and Devin are passionate about helping nonprofit organizations prosper. Whether you oversee endowment, foundation, or retirement plan investments, this podcast exists to help stewards improve performance, reduce costs, and discover strategies that enable your charitable organization to prosper and advance its mission. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Nonprofit Investment Stewards Podcast. I'm Bob DeMeo. Always good to be joined by co-host Devin Francis. Today, we have a guest I've known for quite a while. He's an expert in higher education and a lot more. And his approach is unique in that he helps nonprofits on two important fronts. The first is the finance and endowment management side of the house. The other, which at times can be pushed to the back burner, is operations and the crucial role they can play in sustaining an institution. We're about to jump into things like the looming demographics crisis, how to be smart about financial forecasting, and even how to optimize both finance and operations in your organization. But first, Devin, good to be with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks, Bob. I am so excited to be joined today by Jeff Bethke. Jeff is the managing partner of Ingenuity Advising, which he recently founded. Before he launched Ingenuity Advising in 2021, Jeff served as the executive vice president and the chief financial officer at DePaul University, which is one of the nation's largest private universities. When he was at DePaul, he oversaw the institution's finance and budgeting functions, along with facility operations, human resources, information technology, and a lot more. So he wore many hats at DePaul. While he was there, Jeff led the dramatic expansion of the endowment at DePaul. He directed incredibly strong operating performance at the university, which actually resulted in five successive credit rating upgrades. And he also embarked on other important initiatives, which included several massive real estate transactions and the creation of Wintrust Arena, which is where DePaul's basketball games are played and where other events occur. Jeff also serves on several boards, including Niagara University, Navy Pier in Chicago, and others. So Jeff, welcome to the show. We are so excited to have you here. Thank you, Devin, and thank you, Bob. I could not be happier to uh, spend a little bit of time with you today. Oh, thanks, Jeff. It's absolutely wonderful to reconnect with you. And if we can start by just having you share a bit about your recent launch of Ingenuity Advising and, and really what prompted you to cross the street, if you will, and form your own practice. That's a great question. Uh, something I really struggled with over the course of the last uh, year or so as I was thinking about making this change. Look, I don't regard myself as a consultant. I, I'm really a finance and operations inside house finance and operations person. But I'm embarking on something, a, a terminology that you and your listeners know well of the outsourced chief investment officer, OCIO. I've taken a different spin on that and really launching an OCOO practice, outsourced chief operations officer. So I'm really helping other institutions that don't necessarily have the resources that my uh, DePaul University had to really deploy some expertise and get things done and really helping those kinds of institutions achieve a new bold vision. That's great, Jeff. So I think that your approach and your mindset is pretty unique in that when attempting to help a charitable organization thrive or even just to survive, 
you're not only thinking about finance and endowment management, you're also thinking about operations. Can you kind of unpack that concept for us? Yeah, I'd be delighted to. I think that a little bit further background in terms of higher education for those that are not in the field on a day-to-day basis. It's important to think about higher ed as a broader circle than just colleges and universities that are operating. And there's really a stewardship of a social compact in terms of the transformative power of higher education that, that for me personally uh, is very resonant as a first in family college student and a, as someone whose life was utterly transformed by my higher educational experience. So, but these are challenging times and, and Bob mentioned in the, at the outset, the demographic challenges, some of the demographic challenges that universities and colleges are facing. So change is really very much uh, in the air for the higher education industry in the United States. So in terms of your, the specific mindset and approach, I mean, if you look at a university classically, the structure is you'll have a, you have a president who sets the strategic vision and leads the overall institution. You'll have a chief academic officer who sets the academic vision, does program development, maintains relationships with faculty and the like. And then you'll have a chief financial officer who's charged with managing the resources of the institution. And that CFO's function kind of breaks down further into safeguarding the institution's assets, risk management and the like, budgeting, uh, which has been a relatively straightforward practice when enrollments have been growing and tuition has been going up at the rate of three or 5% a year or the like. And then capital finance, access to the, the, the capital markets. The difference now is that in the more challenging operating environment where resources are really constrained, it forces a new way to think about and approach finance and the operating structure of the institution. So it's not just about budgeting and and creating a budget that's balanced. It's about managing every every resource dollar to maximal effect. Uh, It's not just about uh, getting through, it's about becoming more efficient and increasing productivity, which are concepts that traditionally haven't been really resonant within within higher education. So that's where operations comes into play. Not just having access to capital, but knowing how to deploy that capital to maximum effect. Not just preparing a budget, but knowing how to use the scarce resources to maximum effect. When you have 30 to 40 years of essentially uninterrupted revenue growth, it builds a certain kind of institution. It's not really equipped for the kind of change that higher education is facing now. So for my part, I'm just trying to help smaller institutions or bold institutions build the kind of muscle mass that it takes to deploy operations in a way that will position them better for the future. Jeff, when when we worked together on the DePaul endowment, we talked often about uh, something that we use at the firm, the three levers, inflows, outflows, and then required return. You know, what do, what do you need the endowment to generate by way of earnings? I'd like to hear a comparison on the OCIO. Let's do a, another comparison as we think about your space here. And when we think of inflows, I'm thinking about some of the really, I will just say, sobering analysis I've read that you've put out on the looming demographics crisis. Can you expand on that, including how you see that unfolding for schools and maybe even other nonprofits? It's a huge challenge, particularly in the Midwest and the Northeast regions, where you have essentially plummeting birth rates coming out of the financial crisis, 2007, 2008 which has led to a a real reduction in the number of traditional age students coming out of high school and going into college 
in 2021, 22, and it, it, it really hits a, a rock bottom in 2025 and 2026. And that's a challenge that is, is many institutions are just now waking up to. I mean, the demographics, again, the long view of higher education coming out of World War II, you had the GI Bill, which had a huge influx of, of people coming into the higher educational system and learning about the transformative power of higher education. So that cohort, then the baby boomer cohort, and then the millennial cohort, which is actually even larger than the baby boomer cohort. And now this uh, most recent, and that population has now completed largely their higher education. And you're left with the smaller cohort, the Gen Z cohort, which is uh, causing shrinking enrollments across the board. So it's a real challenge for higher education in terms of looking at the traditional marketplace and, and thinking about how to keep revenue growth without a, that growth in enrollment and also without the ability to, to increase tuition at the rate that it has in the past. So I guess my question in response to that is what should leaders be thinking about doing now in the face of those demographic changes? It's, it gets back to the point about operations and how it intersects with the finances of the institution and with the overall functioning of the institution. Traditionally, we've looked at investments as a way to support operations. So an institution has an endowment and they use the, that's largely uh, taken from or derived from donor contributions. And then they use the proceeds of those donor contributions to help fund the institution. One of the approaches that we adopted at DePaul, and it's not an uncommon approach, but we really tried to maximize it at the institution was to create a, a quasi-endowment that we then used institutional proceeds, so from good operating results, to deposit into that and help foster growth of the overall endowment. So in that mode, you're not just using investments to support operations, but using operations to support investments. So it's just that old, <laughs> nothing more sophisticated than that old saw about saving for a rainy day. And it, when is money most valuable when it's scarce? So trying to smooth uh, the, the inflows or the, the ups and downs of the marketplace by using a capital structure, both investments and debt to help create a more even approach. Now, the problem with that is that it takes a long time and you have to, once you're in the teeth of a crisis, you don't have the kind of, if you haven't adopted that approach already, you don't have the ability to kind of uh, make uh, uh, retrospective changes. That's again, where operations really comes into play and have to, having to think all the more creatively about how to approach things in order to uh, continue to achieve the outcomes that you're looking for. Jeff, I, I, as you talk about that, it has me thinking that that's a somewhat unique and somewhat progressive approach. And I'm just curious, how challenging was it to have whether it be board members or committee members, think in that manner to really prepare when times are good and to take in sort of these practices and put them into place when, you know, it's not top of mind for folks in, in good times. They, we were fortunate, Paul, in that our, we had a really strong board with a really focused finance committee that understood that piece uh, from a it, growing the endowment and growing the reserves of the institution's standpoint. The additional piece that I introduced to it earlier as in my role as treasurer for eight years at the institution 
in the financial crisis of 07, 08 and beyond was to really focus on keeping debt under control as well. And that's, that's a component that a lot of people t- take for granted or they lose sight of the, the ways that debt and interest can really reduce the degrees of freedom of an institution in when times get tougher. So it's, it was a combination at DePaul of having a good progressive board of trustees that really fostered the idea of that saving for a rainy day component, coupled with just making sure that we're using debt in the right ways. And the, of course, the, the best definition of the wrong way to use debt is to fund operations. So, but a lot of institutions are driven by desperation to do precisely that these days. So it, that, that kind of disciplined approach is, makes all the difference. And, it, and it's all just about leadership and day-to-day just trying to make the best decisions operationally that are benefit the current situation, but then also don't lose sight of the future state you're trying to achieve. So Jeff, I know that you're an expert in endowment management, and we'll definitely get to that in just a minute. But first, let's have your take on operations and the important role that they play for any organization that hopes to prosper. That's a really important point in terms of the operations of the institution broadly defined is not just finance, but HR, information systems, facilities, really all of the back of house functions that help the institution to, that provide the resources to the academics, uh, to the faculty, as they're engaged in the core work of the institution to educate students. Uh, and that operational approach has a great potential. It's this concept I mentioned a moment ago about how higher education hasn't really traditionally been focused on efficiency and productivity gains. And it's introducing those kinds of concepts uh, on specifically on the operations side that really help the institution because every dollar that you spend on an operational issue is a dollar that's taken away from educating a student or a further dollar that you have to increase tuition by. So efficiency of operations is really key. So you can see that in systems to speak a little bit more tangibly in how technology is used and the decisions that you make in terms of customization of technology versus broader good kind of good enough technology that that is not mission critical but that it's allowing the institution to get done what it needs to at a productive a productive and cost effective manner so it's it's streamlining of all the operational components so you can really focus the resources of the institution on what happens in the classroom and what's happening for that individual student So Jeff, do you have any examples that you might be able to share with us about uh, efficiencies that you've uh, perhaps uncovered or suggested to any of your clients that have helped them improve their operations? I think one of the main areas is on the human resources side and how you're investing in staff and recognizing that staff are in support of academics. But you also, so you need to invest in staff in the right way. You don't want to have faculty engaged in operational duties that are off mission. So having tenured faculty, for instance, engaged in things that are related to, and we had a tenured faculty member at DePaul that was running our real estate department at one point. And while they, that individual had great expertise uh, in real estate, that, that wasn't the main way that they could add value to the institution. So it's, it's taking 
and focusing the efforts of staff and, and dividing it up with the, what faculty is doing to really lead the institution. That is one great example of that, making sure that you're not over-investing uh, in administrative functions and that you're really trying to build, again, an efficient back of house function that keeps the dollars preserved to support the real purpose, mission-driven purpose of the institution, which is academics. Thanks, Jeff. Let, let's shift to another area of expertise for you, and that is the endowment management for higher ed. And perhaps you can comment a little bit on the current state and role that endowments play in higher ed, and maybe even a thought on the landscape of, you hear a lot about the haves and the have nots in this space and what schools need to do. There's definitely a growing inequity within higher education as it relates to just operational strength. You've got elite institutions and you've got smaller institutions that are quite prestigious that are thriving, but then a whole host of other institutions that are increasingly challenged in terms of, frankly, just competing with the state schools. So here in Chicago, where I live, you've got a very good University of Illinois system that is able to deliver a great product and really compete strongly against private, larger private institutions that have traditionally satisfied that marketplace. So in terms of how that factors into the endowment, it, it's kind of back to that piece about where things stand and how you were able to have been able to grow the endowment over time and how you're then using that endowment, hopefully or ideally, to support scholarship and to support uh, faculty in a way that that is leading to better research and, and ability to recruit and build their respective academic programs. But so many institutions are challenged and philanthropy has played a big role, but now the landscape is much more, has tightened much more severely. It's hard for institutions to go out and get those, get the academic support or get the philanthropic support that they need to do what they need to do. And so many, so much of that effort is now being focused on sustaining, just sustaining operations. So it's, it's very, very challenging. And it, it made all the more so by the fact that you, it's an industry that basically, since there are no owners, there are no owners pushing for a higher return on equity, that many of these institutions, it, it just comes down to a cash play. And as long as they can maintain liquidity, keep paying their, uh, pay, keep paying their, uh, payroll and their bills, they're going to be fine. But then it, there's a long scale, uh, long time series degradation of the institution uh, over time. So uh, it, it, like I said, it's challenging outlook for higher education in terms of how investments are managed. Uh, I think the best way to think about that, and the, certainly the guiding principles that have worked well for me over the years is, you know, don't, don't try to be too clever, play the long game, focus on diversification. I mean, this is all standard blocking and tackling stuff keep your fees under control and, and have a good, good advisor who, can, who understands the needs and priorities of your organization and, and it can bring that outside expertise and flexibility that you need to, uh, to achieve the outcomes you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. All of those things you just mentioned are things, of course, that we talk to our clients about every day. So do you have any, one of the things that Bob and I are always interested in hearing about are best practices with regard to governance and committee structure. Do you have any best practices that, that you can share with the listeners uh, thinking about kind of those things? 
Yeah, the, there's, I have found it both in my DePaul experience and working with my clients that there's a real benefit to diversity of thought on your investment committee and really on all your board committees. So, but taking investment committee as, a, as an example, you of course want folks with fund management and investment expertise on that committee. And you want bankers and you want corporate CFOs, but you also want a fair mix of academics and folks that are mission, bring the mission driven expertise to, to really balance out the whys and wherefores of what you're trying to accomplish from an investment management standpoint. Another piece that is important, I think, is continuity in that committee. So too much turnover can lead to, a, at best, a disjointed approach uh, to how you're managing investments. And at worst, can really inspire a flavor of the month approach to asset management that can then whipsaw uh, the institution or the, the performance of the fund in ways that are, are counterproductive. That's another piece where good advisor relationship can really help. And then there, <laughs> there's that... Old, I guess the other component I would offer is that old wisdom about, I think it goes something like all of our problems stem from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone. I mean, there's a concern about being too ad activist and trying to do too much and not just letting the, the institution or letting the fund strategy play out over time. And that coupled with perhaps maybe a little bit too much confidence in our understanding of a situation can lead reactive decisions that then leave the fund performing worse than it otherwise would have. Jeff, I think that's an excellent segue into this white paper that I know you're working on, and it's Transforming Higher Education, Finance, and Operations. I think that's the, the working title, and you shared some of the analysis with me, which I find very interesting. Uh, what, what will leadership at schools, and maybe just nonprofits in general, find most compelling in your piece? Yeah, I think that for me, over several decades of higher education experience at this point, I, I think there's a common perception among higher ed administrators, CFOs and the like, that the inflexibility of faculty is the main impediment to change in higher ed. And, and, and that hasn't been my experience at all. Faculty are often among the most innovative folks that you have in an organization or in a, in a college. More often, and this is the, this is the uncomfortable truth that, that I'm trying to bring to my clients, it's the institutional leadership and the boards themselves that often are the main barrier to change. And you've got uh, a lot of presidents of these colleges, uh, not all, but a lot that came up through the system and are a product of that system. And you've got trustees who are tied to the experience they had at the institution 20, 30, or 40 years ago. So benefit I'm trying to bring to the clients that I'm working with. First off, I'm working with clients that have a bolder vision and, and sort of understand uh, that change needs to occur and have the courage to embrace that change. And also that they need to think about things differently and they need to challenge themselves in terms of how they're managing the institution and how the board is uh, involved in the work of the institution. So Jeff, as we think about wrapping up here, I thought it would be interesting to, I know that you've tackled a ton of big projects during your time at DePaul. And of course, since launching Ingenuity Advisors, I'm sure you've worked on some really interesting things. So maybe um, you could share one particular project that you're either most proud of, or you kind of found the, the most intriguing and share some of what you learned with our listeners. Sure. I'd be, I'd be happy to. There's, there's one 
project that really stands out for me. And as you say, Devin, I worked on a lot of interesting and big things, but there's one that stood out for precisely that reason, kind of lessons learned. And that's it. 18 story, 1700 bed, we called it a super dorm <laughs> that three competing colleges got together and built in 2004. We operated it successfully for a dozen years and then monetized it uh, via sale leaseback transaction for a record setting $201 million in 2017. It produced about $100 million worth of net proceeds that were distributed to the three schools. Now, that's a great outcome. Uh, I was in, I was served as president of that project from 2008 to 2017. But in terms of the lesson learned, it's not just the great outcome. It, there was a lot of uncertainty going into that project uh, at the outset. And as we worked together, it became a lesson for me, a real lesson in the power of collaboration and non-zero sum thinking. I think we achieved something none of us could have done on our own, producing tremendous value in the process. And more importantly, just building some great professional bonds and relationships. So that, that willingness to, to sort of sit down as, and this gets back to the fiduciary mindset, thinking beyond my our limited scope of, of day-to-day concerns and thinking about as a true uh, steward of the investments of a, or the assets of a long-lived perpetual entity. So it was that lesson for me, working with my counterparts at, at other colleges and, and really achieving that great outcome that really opened my eyes to how to approach working with folks in a way that's much more on the same side of the table. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, so before we wrap up, if you could just give us a little personal nugget, uh, what's something that you enjoy doing when you do have some free time? I'm sure there's not much of it, but uh, <laughs> what are some of your highlights? Yeah. So in addition to this, so I'm, I'm sort of currently serving since February as the board chair of the MPEA, which is the governmental entity that controls and operates McCormick Place, the largest convention center in North America. So that, that's been thrilling in terms of bringing that uh, $2.6 million or 2.6 million square feet of exhibition space back online after nearly 18 months being dark. So I'm really thrilled that we're bringing the auto show back to Chicago in July. And as also mentioned at the top, I serve at, in the board of Niagara University and a couple other places. But in terms of personal achievement, uh, this is something that has really struck me in the last year. I've recently taken on, uh, (laughs) of all things, a forest restoration project in the Kettle Moraine in southeastern Wisconsin, where there's a small community of folks engaged in restoring the oak and hickory forests uh, and savannas and removing invasive species and and bring to bring back to the fore the ancient trees, some of them 300 years older and older to really restore the natural ecology and biodiversity, help the wildlife recover. Uh, it, it, very tremendously rewarding work. And I've been very, feel very privileged to have had the opportunity over the course of the last year to, to really throw myself into some of that in moments that I can pry myself away and, and get, out into the, get out into the woods. Oh, that's great. An environmentalist at heart. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> So Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. We've really appreciated your insights and your expertise. If folks want to learn more or maybe access some of the resources that Ingenuity has to offer, how can they, uh, how can they do so? The easiest way to find us is just on the web, uh, old school at ingenuityadvising.com.
Jeff, we want to thank you so much. Appreciate your insights and sort of your unique uh, dual role that you're playing for higher ed and nonprofits in general. Really appreciate it, Jeff, and, and good to be with you. Thank you, Bob, and thank you, Devin. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks so much to our listeners as well. If you oversee an endowment or a foundation, we want to share a resource called Four Smart Moves for Investment Committees. It's a short but very insightful piece, and we'll provide the link in the show notes. So to all you good stewards, thanks for investing your time to help your nonprofits prosper. We'll connect with you soon on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Investment Stewards podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified of new episodes and visit fiducentadvisors.com for more information. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of fiducian advisors. Content is made available for informational and educational purposes only and does not represent a specific recommendation. Always seek the advice of qualified professionals familiar with your unique circumstances.